Did you, uh, when Tim mentioned Al Alderts and then he started to pray, did you hear the whisper deep in your soul? Did you hear what was going on deep inside of you? Al Alderts, 62 years old, uh, usher at this end of the building for years, married, raised his daughters in this church. And when Tim mentioned it, probably deep in your soul, there was something going on, and I think what it was was, this is not right. This is not right for Al to be gone today. It's not right. I bet deep down, and some of you shushed this sound, it's like we live in a broken world. We all do. And we know it's broken. And it's so important that we understand the story of God as we try to thrive and find joy in a world that's broken. I look at your faces in the room. So many of you I've known for so long. And I could just talk about the brokenness that I know, that you've experienced. And it's in our past and it's in our current. And it's right here. Several weeks ago, my wife was sitting at a red light in downtown Waterloo on her way to a haircut, and smash, another lady ran into the back of our car, uh, rammed her into the front of a pickup, totaled our 1998 Oldsmobile minivan. Doesn't take a lot to total that. (laughs) And my wife was okay. But as she waited for the police, and then as I heard, I heard this whisper. It's not right. A couple weeks ago, a lot of us watched on TV as a hurricane hit the beaches in Haiti. And people who were already poor, living in cardboard huts, living in uh, like tents, This hurricane came and just destroyed their lives and killed many, ripped roofs off. And if we watch that on TV, deep in us, it said, this isn't right. Why does it hit those who are already most vulnerable? On Wednesday night of this week, some of us watched the third presidential debate. And a part of that debate was the two candidates of the primary parties pointing out to us the sin and failure of each other. And when that debate ended, if we would be silent, almost all of us would say, this is not right. Our world is broken. Last night... Linda and I were heading uh, back. We were, we've been gone for a week in Colorado in the mountains. And then yesterday we had a day with all of our kids and grandkids in Ames. And about 8 o'clock last night, 8.30, it's dark. And uh, I'm driving our second vehicle uh, home. And uh, you know how this is. All the farmers are out uh, doing their harvest. And in my headlights, all of a sudden, is a big deer. 
And uh, I turn as fast as I can to the shoulder. It's come across the median. And uh, I strike this big deer who uh, smashes my hood, the corner of my car, flips around, and smashes the entire side of my car. I come to a stop. Broken car, broken deer. Broken thoughts. So we get out, we look at it, we do what we can. Uh, miraculously, it's drivable. And so I get in, and we're driving quietly, very quietly, slower. And I think about in Florida 16 months ago, when a car came across the median and killed our family. And I think about a beautiful young lady who was uh, engaged, I think, and I did her funeral. And when she hit a deer, it went through the windshield and killed her. We live in a broken world. It's broken in so many ways, right? So many ways. And yet, Jesus says, my joy I give to you. And we are to live in his joy and we are to thrive in his joy. And so then we said, how, as a teaching team, we said, how do you do that? How do you live in a broken world and find the joy and thrive as, a, as someone who loves God and follows Jesus? And so uh, we said, well, who did it in the Bible? And one of the guys who did it was Daniel in the Old Testament. And we've been talking about Daniel for four weeks. And uh, this is the fourth week. Next week we, we finish up. And uh, Daniel seemed to have a handle on the story of God in the world. That we were created We were created in the image of God. We as humans, uh, the human race, were put into a garden where there was no death, there was no sin, there was no fallenness, there was no brokenness. And then Adam and Eve chose, Adam and Eve chose to uh, sin, to choose to go their own way. And God put into place a plan where he sent his son Because when they sinned and God pronounced the judgment, what was the consequence of this? It's like everything's broken. Relationships are broken. Death enters the world. Um, The world itself is broken and will grow. Nature is broken. Everything's broken. And then Jesus is going to come and make things right as he builds his kingdom because of what he did on the cross. Right? So if we get the big story of God and we get how our little story fits in his big story, then we can begin to find joy. And uh, Daniel is one who did that. And so uh, you've probably picked up by now that uh, we're doing these five weeks and each week has a theme of what we see in the life of Daniel. And uh, we're covering the six chapters, the first six chapters of Daniel, the story of Daniel. So we have a slide that lists uh, what we're trying to say. I've got the number one one on this slide. And that's the first thing we see in Daniel is he learned to surrender to God and to trust God. He learned to surrender and trust. And then Jeff was in here 
And he talked about how Daniel learned to practice real faith, faith that was action. And then Doug's teaching, he grabbed onto hope. Even though he lived in a broken world, he grabbed onto hope. And then Alice's teaching, he lived with humility, understanding who God was and who he was. And then Ed's teaching, wisdom. So these are the five things we think we see we can learn from Daniel. That we need to learn to surrender and trust God. Even when we don't understand what's going on. And we need to practice real faith, which is faith in action. And we need to uh, live with hope. So the question this morning I would like to try to answer is how do you and I best respond as followers of Jesus, people who love God, as we face a broken world, a world that's broken politically, a world that's broken economically, a world that's broken relationally, a world that's broken with death. And so uh, I started to read Daniel, and I got as far as verse 2. You know, I'm a simple person. (laughs) And so let me read to you the uh, first seven verses, but... We're going to give our focus to two. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of God. Verse 3, then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 1, two characters. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the king over God's people that he had put in place, a Jewish follower of God, not perfect by any means, but the king assigned to that role by God. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, evil, cruel, vicious, satanic king over one of the world's most broken empires in world history. In fact, it's argued that uh, Babylon was one of the most evil empires. Uh, in Revelation 18.2, the Bible mentions, fallen, fallen is Babylon. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt of every impure spirit. It's possible it's one of the most evil empires that ever existed. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is one of the most evil kings who ever lived. When you read the first six chapters of Daniel, which I hope some of you have done, it reads almost like a fairy tale. It reads almost like a bad king fairy tale. But if you actually put it into human terms... This was an evil man. He had people murdered for his delight. Nebuchadnezzar, evil. Now, it's so interesting in verse 2 that Daniel says this. Daniel says in verse 2,
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, along with some articles from the temple of God. The Lord delivered. So then I was thinking about verse 2, and I was thinking, how long after it happened did Daniel actually write these words? Because we think Daniel wrote the book. And so I was trying to figure out. I'm sure he didn't write it when he was captured, put in change, and marching off to Babylon. I'm sure he didn't grab a pen and go, whoa, today, God. So I was thinking, how long? And as best as I could find from scholars, one or two or three decades later, Daniel is writing this. So 10 or 20 or 30 years later, Daniel's looking back on this day when his king is captured and he's captured and he's put in chains and probably he's castrated because the Bible says he reports to the leader of the eunuchs and he loses his whole future. He was nobility. He was in line to be one of the royal leaders in King Jehoiakim's uh, future. He, like, had the best training. He, like, had the best schools. He dreamed of being a dad and a grandpa. And Nebuchadnezzar comes and captures his land. And in one day, every dream he has for his future dies. And he's put in chains and he's marched off, and I think all he does that day is groan. I I don't think he says, oh, God is in this, let's have joy. I think all he does that day is groan. And some of you have been there, many of you have been there. When all you can do on that worst day when your dream dies is groan. And that's what he does. He groans and he's marched off. And then he's got to decide the same thing you and I have to decide every day. How do I live in a broken world. I was a prince. Now I'm a slave. I was free. Now I'm bonded, in bondage. I had a future with a wife and children and grandchildren. Now I've been castrated. Every dream I had in this life died in that march to Babylon. And he has to answer the question, how do I find joy? How do I thrive? And I don't think he found it right away. I don't. I might not have known it so clearly if I hadn't had my own drive to Florida where I was groaning as we went to uh, be with our family. I, I might not have known the groaning. I wouldn't have known the groaning part as well. But there comes tragedy in every life. There comes brokenness in every society where all of a sudden all you can do for a little time is groan. And that's where Daniel is. He's groaning. But then later, look what he writes in verse 2. And the Lord was there. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and he even let Nebuchadnezzar take some really important things out of the temple of God and steal them. All of Daniel's dream shattered in a day. Daniel hoped to be part of the inner circle, and now he's a slave. This was a very bad day. 
So Daniel becomes immersed in this broken world. And what we see are these things that we're talking about. He didn't lose hope. He didn't lose joy. He didn't lose the fact that God was still on the throne in heaven. He got a new name. The name they gave him was Belshazzar, which actually means Bell's Prince. Uh, Bell was a nickname for a demonic god that they worshipped called Marduk. And it would have been very close to like Dan being renamed here. And Dan, your name is no longer Dan. Now we're going to call you Satan's Prince. And in humility, Daniel let that happen. Now what he didn't let happen was bad eating. For some reason he chose to say to his captors, Listen, I can't eat this because of my faith in God. And so help me. And humility, because he was humble, because he cared, because he still wanted to operate as a Christ, as a God lover, uh, they let him actually make some things. Now, it's important for us to realize, and I think others have talked about this, that uh, Daniel is not a great adventure story. It's not like, how do you as a person go do adventure, Right? It's like we could think that Daniel in the lion's den, it's like, well, that's what a Christian should do is just like uh, be ready to go into the lion's den. Well, the problem with seeing Daniel through the eyes of adventure is no one else succeeded in those adventures. Daniel, for some reason, because of his humility, his love for God, how God chose to work in Daniel's life, he survived the lion's den. But uh, many, many other Christians who were fed to the lions right, in the days of persecution, were killed by lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were put into that really hot fire that even killed the people throwing them in there. And for some reason, God protected them. But what about the hundreds of Christian martyrs who've been tied to a post across our world and burned to death? This is not a story of how to do Christian adventure. This is a story of how to live and thrive in a broken world. From the first page to the end of the sixth chapter, it's teaching us how to live with hope and joy amidst a broken world. So I found four things I would like to uh, highlight for just a couple minutes. Number one, God is present even when we do not understand why this is happening. Daniel had no idea why God let Nebuchadnezzar capture Judah and make him a slave. He had no idea. No idea. He believed God was still on the throne. And some of you have had pain and brokenness, and you have no idea. And I have pain and brokenness, and I have no idea. But it's clear that God is still present, even with the Aldert's family this week. God is present in the brokenness. And this can be troubling when you're trying to figure things out, when you're trying to get answers. Second thing, the story we tell ourselves is incredibly important. The story we tell ourselves is incredibly important. I see Dawn sitting here, and Dawn and I have spent hours sitting on your couch at home talking about what's going on with this cancer. 
What's the story? Is God still in charge? Right? And so uh, think about it. Those of you who are football fans, some of you saw some good games yesterday. When the team runs out and looks across the field, the story they tell themselves is very important, right, as a coach? It's like when you look across the field and you go, boy, those guys look big and talented and fast. And that end sure has your hands. And that quarterback, if you're telling yourself that, you're probably in trouble. Rather than saying to yourself, talking to yourself, what's your story? It's like we've practiced hard. I've trained for months. We know our plays. We've got an intensity. Makes a huge difference, the story you tell yourself. So as you're walking in this broken world, whether you're troubled by the politics of it or the economics or the relationships or whatever, it really matters what story you tell yourself. And Daniel, in the second verse, he's saying God was there. God was there. He was still on his throne. He's still doing it. Number three, God was at work again and again right in the midst of the brokenness. Uh, I never knew this so well. Uh, you know, we learn as we live. Uh, the Bible often talks about like the older people being wise. And I like that part now that I'm getting older. Uh, but I never knew this. I never knew on your most broken day, God's still at work. In your most broken era, God's still at work. Now, you may not feel him. You may not sense it. I I didn't. But when you look back like Daniel did here, then you find out he's still at work in the midst of the brokenness. So God lets Daniel hold on to his dietary laws, which was important to Daniel for some reason, and I don't even get why that was. And God works to help Daniel interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Interesting. And God works by closing the mouths of the lions this one time. So Daniel's protected. And he protects Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. And God works to give Daniel the interpretation of another dream. So in his worst days... God is still at work. And then number four, surrendering to God leads to trusting him. I used to uh, think I knew a lot about surrender. In fact, I've stood right here for years and taught surrender. And many of you have been around, have heard me, like standing at the deck out at George Whip. And I just surrender to God, the church. I surrender to God, my future. I surrender to God, my family. I just surrender. And then you heard the stories where I turn around on the dock and I take about two steps and like uh, I realize I've grabbed it back. And then I turn around again. And I mean, there are fishermen there watching me. (laughs) I surrender out loud again. God, take these problems. Take this challenge. Take my future. Take my children. Take the church. Take it. I surrender it. And I turn around and I got it again. So then I have to, these fishermen are going, who is this guy? 
And so I thought I knew it. I thought I had surrendered everything. Then when our tragedy hit, I'm driving to Florida. I realized I don't know surrender. Again. Right? And what surrender leads to is trust. And so some of you today, just like, just like Daniel, you gotta surrender. You gotta say, my kids, Lord, my kids, they're yours. You love them more than I do. My grandkids, they're yours. You love them more than I do. My health, You've got it, Lord. My days on the planet, you've got it, Lord. We've got to surrender because when we surrender, then it leads us to trust God. So I close with this. What's your story? What's your story today? And where is God in your story? Is he still on his throne Is he still in charge? Is he still good? And please don't hear me say you have to have it all sorted out. Because remember again, 16 months ago I was asking, God, are you real? God, do you love me? God, do you have any power? But now I'm ready to look back 16 months and say, yep. God was on the throne June 10th, 2015. He was. I don't know why things happen. But I know the Bible is clear. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Death, heights, oceans, sin, nothing separates us. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. What's your story? Because it really matters. The story you tell yourself. And the story you pass to your children. It really matters. A week ago, someone was in my office, and she had come to tell me really good news. And uh, I was celebrating with her. And uh, she said, Dave, you're different now. She said, you used to be fun and energetic, and now you're serious. (laughs) And uh, I promise I'm going to try to get back a little bit more fun. as I teach and as I walk with you. Let's pray. Uh, Dear God, Daniel was a servant of yours who knew you and who loved you and who lived well before you. And he thrived in a broken world. And Father, we want to be people who thrive and find joy in this broken world. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us 
do that. Help us be people who are marked by joy. Help us be people who are marked by hope and love and humility. And could it be so even in this October 2016, could people look into our lives, please, and see hope and humility and patience and joy and love? Could it be so, dear God? And now we're going to worship you, a God who is present on both our best day and our worst day. In the name of Jesus, amen.